0: Of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. I'm one of your hosts, The Irredeemable Shag. Along with me is my co host, The Esteemed Rob Kelly. We're a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. How you doing,
1: buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, just for kicks, I reduced myself down using a white uh, dwarf star material. So oh. these Digests are the size of treasuries.
0: Oh, fantastic! That way you can keep with your beloved treasury size. <laughs> that makes the treasuries like the size of a skyscraper. It's, a, it's an amazing world I'm living in right now. <laughs> hey, I was in the grocery store the other day. I haven't spot I haven't spotted any of the Marvel Digest yet. However, the Archie Digest slot was sold out. I was Whoa. like. Whoa! Okay, you know I suppose it's possible they yanked them and hadn't put any new ones in. But the Archie—I don't—I don't think that's—I think don't think that's how it worked. They don't take them till they replace them. But I, Archie was sold out, so I'm—I am stalking my grocery store looking for uh, the Marvel Digests. Now you found since our last recording, you found it actually uh, an image of the point of sale display, right?
1: Yes. I shoot. I wish I remember who sent me that, but oh, I think it was a. Uh... Lucian Dazar, I believe, uh, Mr. Sharkbucket himself, sent me a picture of, yeah, there's, there's actual display boxes that Marvel is sending, I guess, presumably to their vendors. And it's, that's where the digests are going to be uh, displayed. It's very exciting. It was really cool. I love that they're doing signage, too. They're not just, you know, slapping the books out there. They're actually doing special signage. It's so cool.
0: And if you've never worked retail, just so you know, those are termed point-of-sale uh, sort of displays. Also, as an acronym, P.O.S., which is kind of funny.
1: <laughs> They've also been known as dumps, which is yes, a, a, they phrase, have. a phrase I refuse to use.
0: Well I think that's more when they just isn't that when they just kinda of... Stack, throw them in a bin rather than no, stack them no, 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 oh, no, really? no.
1: When, when I worked at Borders, I was in charge of making uh. the displays and they would be called uh, interchangeably point-of-sale displays or dumps. And I'm like, I'm not calling them dumps. I'm just <laughs> Rob, go, go, go over there
0: and take a dump.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <There> <laughs> that's terrible. We're keeping it classy here in Cast.
0: I tell you, we are. Well, if this is your first episode because maybe you're a sports fanatic, um, <laughs> just so you know, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> or maybe maybe you're uh Keith G. Baker, and uh, you know you're you're dedicated to sports and comics, and this is your first time listening to this show. Either way, the gist of this show is that we are here to celebrate comics that are in the beloved pocket size that uh, from that bygone era of the 1970s and 80s. We absolutely love these things, and uh, we are doing another one from DC today. It is strange sports stories, a hundred pages, or I'm sorry, 100 pulse pounding pages. <laughs> I don't know if my blood portion.
1: pressure can take
0: it. I, I know mine can't. But before we do that, we should take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of Digest Cast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy?
1: Well, since uh, baseball was the inspiration for picking this Digest, because this one is my pick, I decided to go with a baseball-related book, and in this case, it is 21, The Story of Roberto Clemente a graphic novel by Wilfred Santiago now available in paperback for the first time Uh, 21 is the story of a human drama of courage faith and dignity inspired by the life of the acclaimed Pittsburgh Pirates baseball star 21 Chronicles Clemente's life from his early days going up in Puerto Rico through the highlights of his career on the baseball field and his fundamental decency off it. Santiago's inviting style combines realistic attention to detail and expressive cartooning to great effect. I can vouch for that. You can see there's a really handsome cover, and then if you Google it, you can see some of the entire inside uh, pages. I really like the way this book looked. I think it's kind of interesting to do like sort of a sports figure biography in comic book form. It's 200 pages. The normal price is $19.99, but In Stock Trades is selling it for three Thirteen ninety nine. That's thirty percent off. I think this is like a great book if you have a kid that you know who is a baseball fan, but also might like comics. I think it's a great combo of both those things.
0: Very cool. I stuck with sort of the digest theme, and I picked one of my favorite runs of digest in recent years. Was the Marvel Adventures run. I don't know if you ever saw these, but Marvel did a couple of different uh, all ages books. Can't remember with the first i think the first one was called like marvel age or something like that that was a line of books then they went to marvel adventures and this is marvel adventures spider-man and uh they did a, several of these i my public library still has tons of these on the shelves i love going in there and checking them out whether it be the spider-man ones or the avengers ones they're all fantastic they're great reads they're all ages they're great to share with your kids they're great to just enjoy yourselves because they they hearken back to the old school comics where it's done in ones you know you just get your whole little adventure right there this particular one that's on in stock trades right now is uh It's called Friendly Neighborhood Digest, and it includes four stories. It's reprinting the series uh, from the Marvel Adventures line Spider-Man from 2010, issues 13 through 16, but uh, written by Paul Tobin, who did a bunch of these things. And and there's a whole bunch of different things going on here. Like one of them, he's investigating a series of armored car robberies, uh, Spider-Man, as I should say. He interacts with Dr. Doom. He interacts with Baron Mordo. He ends up calling on the help of Dr. Strange. These things are super fun. I can't tell you, I can't say it enough, folks. You really should check these things out. Uh, It's full color. It's 96 pages. Normally retails for $9.99. You can get it for $4.99. That's almost the price of a regular comic book right now. You can pick this sucker up from Trades for 50% off, and it is well worth your time and energy and money. So please consider getting this. And uh, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. So, Rob, as you said, this is your pick, and you sort of alluded to the baseball, Tell folks about why you chose this one and uh, where your where your passion lies with this thing, man. Well,
1: yeah, I wanted to do something baseball related. We haven't done a digest cast for two months. We didn't do one last month, so when we were talking about what to pick last time, baseball hadn't started yet. But I knew baseball would be starting by the time we got around to this episode. So now we're more more than a month into baseball. And this was just this is just a weird one as we we'll get through the <laughs> stories. Uh, this is just a very weird book, and I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about it because it's it's uh, other than the uh, first story, which uh, is shown on the cover. This is not a superhero digest. This is really a sports digest, and part of it is I love the cover. It's by the late, unfortunately now we have to say the late uh, great uh, Rich Buckler and Duke oh. Giordano, and it features the heroes and the villains facing off. And much like I have mentioned before, like that I'm a sucker for covers where the heroes are like doing something social. You know, they're like painting right. or doing some... Like, I love those comic cavalcade covers. I also am a sucker for covers where the heroes and villains are facing off from side to side. Like, that's just a, a classic setup that I like. It's probably my uh love from the Challenge of the Super Friends. Right. Just run at each other. But this this is a great cover by Buckler and Giordano, and you've got the villains on the left-hand side. You've got the horizon line as they're going. As they're getting smaller off in the in the, in the uh, horizon. So in the in the left, you see Felix Faust, Luthor joker chronos weather wizard and dr polaris in his old costume and then way in the back is the umpire which is uncle sam he's yelling play ball and then on the hero <laughs> side you've got you see a little bit of robin green arrow superman batman wonder woman kid flash plastic man and black canary so i just love this cover it's just so much fun
0: It's absolutely, ridiculously goofy. I mean, and and as we get into the lead story here, which is from the cover, it's almost fair to say this is like a Silver Age comic transplanted to the Bronze Age. Because the plot is ridiculous. The whole setup is ridiculous. But it still sort of works, you know? It, I, that's the best way I can describe it. And it's it's a hoot. And the cover, as you said, is amazing. Buckler does such a great job. And it's so sad with his passing. I mean, his All-Star Squadron are still some of my favorite comics, you know, of, of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh beautiful cover. And it's it, I love the little Uncle Sam in the background screaming, you know, play ball! It's just so fun. It gets you going.
1: Yeah, it's it's really terrific. Uh, I Like, I didn't have this one as a kid. I don't remember seeing it. So I, this was the one I picked up later on. But... Uh, yeah, I just I saw the cover. So this, this book, which is DC Special Blue Liber and Digest Number 13, Strange Sports, was on sale June 4th, 1981. And I took all these dates, of course, from Mike's Amazing World because he has all this wonderful information. So do we just want to get right into the first story?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, we should mention that we will be posting some of these images uh, of this digest out on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And if you just go up to uh, the shows, you'll find Digest Cast, and uh, we'll have a gallery post right beneath the MP3 files, and you will be able to see some of the images from this, including the cover.
1: Right, so yeah, the first story is the Great Superstar Game from DC Superstars number ten in 1976 by Bob Rozakis, Dick Dillon. When the hell did he have time to do this? And <laughs> <laughs> and and Frank McLaughlin. Uh, again, I don't understand how he ever had time to do anything else other than Justice League, but he did. So anyway, uh, the story is the supervillain couple of Sportsmaster and the Huntress are having a heated debate over the eternal superheroes versus supervillains villain, super battle with the Huntress insisting that the good guys always win, so much so that she's thinking of switching sides. Sportsmaster offers a way to settle it By having a team of heroes And a team of villains play a baseball game Seems legit And if the heroes win Then they'll switch to being heroes a week later, Bruce Wayne, Oliver Queen, and Dinah Lance are attending a charity bowling event when it is attacked by the Joker and Mattermaster. Switching into their superhero costumes, it doesn't take long before Batman, Green Arrow, and Black Canary are teleported away by Sportsmaster and Huntress watching from a view screen. The same trap is sprung on Superman, Wonder Woman, Plastic Man, Robin, Kid Flash, and Uncle Sam. The heroes find themselves transported to Crandall uh-huh, Stadium, where the villains are waiting for them. The baseball game idea is presented to the heroes with an extra incentive for them to participate. The 66,000 innocent civilians that have been lured to the park will be forced to stay until the game is declared over. Uncle Sam and Amazo <laughs> are named the Grunt Games' umpires. <laughs> and soon enough, the strangest baseball game of all time begins. The villains, of course, cheat, but eventually the heroes learn to play the game effectively, leading them to win 11-10. to 10. Huntress reminds her husband that she was right all along, which she responds with, app, And the teams of heroes and villains are transported back to where they were before. The good guys mop up the bad guys, and we've reached the end.
0: <laughs> this thing is bonkers. Now, yeah, this is they're, they're, nuts.
1: The story is just completely nuts.
0: Now, there are nine stories throughout this. This is the only one featuring superheroes, folks. So, we're probably going to take—I I, at least I'm planning to spend a lot more time talking about this one than the rest of them. So, forgive us on the front end here. There's a lot to sort of unpack going on here. The whole thing with Huntress and Sportsmaster is, first of all, just hysterical. They're bickering. I mean, they are physically trying to beat the crap out of each other when this story opens. I mean, this is domestic violence 101 here. I mean, he's. He's trying to – what is he trying to – he's trying to beat her with a tennis racket. Is that right? I don't know. And she's hitting him with a chair. I, love I mean did they sit around their house in their costume. Right, right. <laughs> now, I, I had to do a little research on this because certain things here jumped out at me. Maybe everyone else knows this but me. They reference them as Mr. and Mrs. Menace. I just thought that was a funny little descriptor. Did you know they actually went by that name at one point? No. I had no idea. But Before they had revealed their secret identities, they were known as Mr. and Mrs. Menace. And apparently you and I have even been exposed to this because on a previous Digest cast, we covered a story with these two. And I think they were called Mr. and, Mis- Mr. and Mr. and Mrs. Menace in there, and we just didn't pick up on it.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, that Brave and the Bold story with Starman. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that at all.
0: So I, I, I started digging into this deeper. I'm thinking, okay, Hunt, you know, it, it's weird that Huntress offers to become a superhero in this thing. And I'm like, that's weird. You know, it's Why would she offer to become a superhero? Do we ever hear about this again? Because if you remember, jumping forward, and I, we'll get to the Justice League people in a minute, I promise. But I, I'm sticking with the Huntress and Support Master for a minute. She was a member... Of the Young All Stars as a hero. Do you remember that?
1: No. She went do not. Name,
0: okay. She she was a member of the Young All Stars and went by, and now this of course is the 1980s, but and went by the name Huntress. I mean uh, Tigress. I'm sorry. She she went by Tigress and supposedly changed her name to Huntress later. So I looked into that and that's that's actually that was Roy Thomas who did that and that's actually the first time she was ever shown as a hero was by Roy Thomas. So I'm like, all right, I'm looking through all this and here's where it gets wacky, okay? And if you really sit back and think about this, right? We had all those Justice League members and all those bad guys fighting, right? Huntress and Sportsmaster and Uncle Sam and Plastic Man are not on Earth One. None of them are. They're all from different Earths. So I, I, that didn't even occur to me till I was doing this research. So it gets wacky. So, all right, according to this, I get this from Wikipedia, but according to Crisis, uh, according to them, prior to Crisis, you know, uh, the, there was you know there was the Earth Two Huntress and Sportsmaster. Apparently, just before this story came out, they revealed an Earth 1 version of Huntress and Sportsmaster. They probably didn't go to the effort of saying Earth 1 versus Earth 2. They probably just ported them over like they do all that kind of stuff all the time. Anyway, they had these adventures. This is the last time they're ever seen because they agree to become heroes, right? And they're never seen again until after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And at that point, they're sort of viewed as having the Golden Age versions took the dominance rather than this Earth 1 version. It's continuity headache, big time. But... How bizarre is that, that they agree to become heroes, and then maybe that's where Roy Thomas picked up that thread, you know, maybe because Roy Thomas loves continuity. Maybe he read this story and said, nope, Hunter said she was going to be a hero, and that's why he stitched her into all Young All-Stars. We'll no idea.
1: Have, We'll have to ask him that in North Carolina. I'm sure he'll remember it.
0: And I'm sure he'll be willing to chat with us after Ryan's Secret Origins uh, episodes.
1: Well, I'm going <laughs> to pretend we don't know him. That's my plan. So.
0: <laughs> well, okay. I've, ta- I've got other stuff to talk about, but I've really dominated the conversation with a really boring Earth 1, Earth 2 <laughs> bad guy, young All Star. Yes,
1: yes, it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did you think of this story?
1: Well, I mean, it's completely ridiculous, but I like it because it's just so silly. I mean, it's just like, okay, we're going to force the 66,000 people into the stadium. And, you know, Plastic Man uses his... Uh his powers to turn his foot into a base to help cheat. I love that. Uh, I mean, I like the Plastic Man's involved. I feel bad that Aquaman is left out, but I guess he can't play a whole baseball game because it takes more than an hour. So there's a <laughs> rattle thing going on. I mean, just the whole idea that, like, Huntress is like, I'm tired of losing. I may become a hero. Like, that makes no sense. So right. it's fine. And Dick Dylan is one of the few artists I think that could actually do this because it has, it has have so many characters crammed into a tiny space. I mean, there's sequences where Batman, there's a, this whole thing where Sportsmaster is throwing a ball at Batman and there's like there's like 15 panels on a page. I mean, it's just like there's so few artists that could have ever pulled this off. So it's, well, it's just really silly, but I really love it.
0: In, in that same vein, I love Superman pitching at Lex Luthor. Right. And Lex has got some device which makes the boy, the ball go stray every time. But like Superman, by the end of it, really looks like he's pissed. It's like a little tiny version of it. it looks looks like he's really trying hard to in Luther.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's Dylan does a great job on the artwork. I think he I think he, did, I think he, he was a good kind of a ringer for these sorts of stories. Uh, I like the assortment of villains. You know, it's kind of like this is kind of a weird group. Again, I love that Plastic Man is involved, and I love that Uncle Sam. Like he's the referee. Like they, the villains agree to let him. Right, be a because they're like, well, he's fair, and they're like, why would they? Why would they think he's fair? He's a superhero, like, and then Amazo is your judge, like, he's evil, he, like, just, none of it makes a cotton picking piece of sense. But I, I don't care.
0: Well, Luther's, I love Luther's description of why he picks Amazo as their empire. He like, I can't vouch for Amazo's honesty, but since he's an android, he'll have to call him as he sees him.
1: Yeah, what I don't know what that's. Yeah, and none of it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this it, the okay. same Amazo that tried to kill them all numerous times?
0: right i mean the whole idea that they're playing a friendly baseball game is ludicrous then you you talked about people cheating okay they don't cheat till the ninth inning the bad guys don't cheat for the first eight innings which is ludicrous. The freaking jokers out there, you know, and the fact that they wait till the ninth inning to cheat is ridiculous. And then I love that. As you mentioned, plastic man, he straight up cheats. Yeah. You know, it's not even like the other heroes sort of like try and turn the cheating back around on them. Like, you know, I don't know when, when someone uh, does, hits a ball and actually physically gives it wings, you know, green arrow pulls his bone arrow out, you know, that's counteract cheating. Plastic man. He don't care. Eel O'Brien, he's keeping it real. He's keeping it street and totally <laughs> cheats, which I love, which is hysterical. Now, yep. uh well, I had a question about Doctor Polaris. When the hell did Doctor Polaris have this costume?
1: I think that was his first costume. Really? Yeah, I think so.
0: I've never seen this. I, I, I kept going. It took me forever to figure out who that character was. I'm like, who is this dude?
1: Yeah, and it's like the tattooed man is involved in this, which we don't see in the yes. cover. But, but yeah, I think that's his first. Uh, the, the one with the head, uh, sort of a head scarf type thing. I think that's his first costume. My only real complaint about this story is that it wraps up so fast. Oh yeah. Game. The game ends, and literally, it's all the heroes and the villains just facing off in the last panel. Like everybody just gets sunk at the end. It's like if you can defeat the villains that easily, why don't you just do that all the time? like why do you why why can't you just do I I love that like Matter Master is defeated just by Black Canary just grabbing him. Right. She's just picking him up, she's just shaking him, I guess. So, but Well,
0: all of these are this this is it's hard to tell, but this is really a jam panel because this battle isn't happening. What this is is several individual battles where right. they were all yeah. cuz they were all teleported from, they're all teleported back right. to. yeah. So, but I guess collage, that thing where she's right. uh, where she's picking him up, a collage is a better word, is probably at the bowling alley. Right. So, maybe he had a little too much beer and he's a little, you know, too much popcorn he's feeling bloated, so you know, Two things. I, I did want to mention the bowling thing because Wayne Industries has put up a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar cash prize for this bowling thing. Like, and and Ollie's saying you're going to get more than that out of the PR. Are you really? Are yes. you really going to get more than you know quarter of a million dollars in PR from a bowling tournament? I think we're seeing how <laughs> Oliver Queen lost his fortune. <laughs> I do like how they all go off to the bathroom. The panels are unintentionally hilarious. Like one panel is all three of them running to the bathroom. The next panel is all three of them running out of the bathroom in costume. Uh, that just cracked me up. Uh, it was it was super fun. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and I think maybe you know they knew they had 18 pages and they just it's like they got to page 17. And they're like, okay, it's got to end now. <laughs> yeah, we got to get this ad in for grit. So let's right. just wrap it up. That's all I got on this one. Okay, it's a hoot right. though.
1: All right. yeah, it is. It is. It is a hoot, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the next story. Now, okay, I have to, <laughs> I have to preface this story. Well, okay,
0: before yes. you even do that, okay, all the superheroes are gone, folks. Yeah, every, are sports every...
1: stories after this. Yep. So, if you're don't, well, don't tune out, but but be warned. That's it for the superheroes.
0: Okay. We promise. We promise. We'll hold your hand for those of you that don't know the sports.
1: Right. These. Yeah. These are games that people participate in that involve athletics. It may be a new <laughs> thing for some of you, but. Okay, I, I do have to preface this this next story. Because when I read this story, mm-hmm. I was like, this is the goofiest story I've ever read in the history of comic books. This really? Out, this out, yes! Are you kidding me?
0: No, I'm not. I mean, it's goofy. Oh my but God. I don't know that it breaks the goofy meter compared to some stuff we've covered over the Shag.
1: years. this thing nukes the goofy meter. Are you kidding me? I think... the, the, the Super Suns? Some of the Super Suns stories I, we've done? I, when I get to it, Okay. Oh, my God. Shag, please. This okay. – Bob Haney and his wildest pot-smoking <laughs> haze could not come up with something as ridiculous as this story. But the problem is I didn't want to, like, overdo the hyperbole because the remaining seven stories are also completely insane. Yes. So I didn't want to keep saying, well, this is even crazier. So, you know, it's it's all kind of on a continuum, really. I'd say this one is the furthest end of the crazy, but – your mileage may vary. So anyway.
0: The, the, I, the bowling story is pretty nuts, I the think. bowling
1: story is really nuts. But this one, this story takes the hardest right turn in the history of all of comedy. <laughs>
0: okay, do it.
1: See if you can see when you listen to my description of the plot exactly when that happens. <laughs> all right. This is called The Challenge of the Faceless Five from Strange Sports Stories Number 4, 1974 by Carrie Bates, channeling Bob Haney. And John Rosenberger. It's only 10 pages. A quintet of teens who grew up playing basketball together make it all the way through college, earning the nickname of the Unbeatables for their perfect record. They all plan to move to the pros where they expect their good fortune to continue. Their coach is not so sure, for he worries that their cockiness will be their downfall. He then consults a fortune teller (laughs) who says the team's winning ways will continue through all of professional sports leading them to being drafted onto a special U.N. task force <laughs> charged with defending the Earth during an alien attack. <laughs> Their overconfidence leads to failure, not just for them, but for the whole human race.
0: And You know, that's the worry of every basketball court, coach.
1: The, the future seems grim until the fortune teller summons forth a team of faceless basketball players to challenge the unbeatables to a pickup game. The unbeatables lose the game, leading them to realize that maybe they are fallible after all. After the faceless players disappear, the coach wonders if the future has been rewritten. He ponders, "Only time will tell."
0: Hey, this is a legitimate concern for high school basketball coaches. I'm just this,
1: telling. You. I mean, college or uh, whatever they are. At I this am sport. sorry. When he the the, I, the first four pages are just a standard basketball story, <laughs> a human interest story, and you're like, okay. Fine, and then when it gets to consulting the fortune teller, I was like, Wait, what? And then it gets even more insane with the word. We go into the future, they face the (laughs) faceless aliens. For some reason, the basketball players are turned into the U.N. task force like it's Armageddon all of a sudden. They're going to be sent. This, Carrie Bates went completely plum loco with this story. (laughs) This thing is bonkers nuts, and I put up any Bob Haney story to be. As crazy as this – just how much this thing turns <laughs> you, you a didn't normal even normal basketball story into this crazy sci-fi dystopian thing.
0: You didn't even say who the faceless people are.
1: They're from the future because we learn is that when the aliens attack, they reduce everybody on planet Earth to faceless people. And so the people from the future that have the no faces are the ones beamed into our present day to play, of course, a pickup game because why wouldn't they do that?
0: It's their sons though. That, Is their sons, sons from the future too? That? Yeah, it's on the last page, like that. the last panel or so.
1: Oh, I missed that de- I even missed that detail. Oh my God, it's even better.
0: <laughs> Here this we go. I love stories. So Fiona sent "The team back to the future. If only my boys knew their faceless opponents were their own sons. To be in a way, they were themso- They were beaten by themselves."
1: <laughs> See, I didn't. Okay, no, I did read that. I didn't take it. I didn't take that literally. I thought it meant it was these, those are people from the future.
0: Sons to be. So right, I said sons-to-be. Right, but I, would... I,
1: took, I took it as more
0: metaphorical. Okay, I did. Okay. But either way, either way, it is bonkers. I I honestly – I read this thing a couple of weeks ago, and since this was your story to cover, I didn't reread it last night. I did forget about the whole fortune teller and the UN task force. Oh, so my god. I have to give you some credit there. <laughs> I feel insanity. like Harry,
1: Carrie Bates wrote the first four pages – and then, like, I think he went out to dinner, and he's like, oh, I'll just finish it when I get back. And then he got back, and he's like, oh, crap. What was I gonna, how was I going to wrap that up? Oh, how about this? And he just banged out this other thing. I it, I love this story because it is just jaw-droppingly bonk. It makes the superhero baseball game look pretty normal in comparison.
0: Well, it's sort of interesting. All of these stories, really, I mean, again, excluding the first one. The first one was clearly a superhero tale. The rest of these are sports stories. Uh, it, it's almost like... Each one of these stories could fit in either like one of their sci fi mags or one of their uh, you know, like Tales of the Unexpected sort of mags because all of them have a weird well, par- book, paranormal or sci fi angle to them. The book was called Strange Sports Stories, not normal yeah. sports stories. <laughs> I guess that's true.
1: Fairly yeah. standard sports stories. Who would have <laughs> wanna read that?
0: Man, I think uh, I think Harvey published that one. Yeah, I think so. so. <laughs> I
1: love well, the story. Oh my It's
0: God. fun. It is. A, it's a fun ten pages. I'll give you that. And they packed a lot in those ten pages. That's for oh, sure.
1: Please, when you when you do the graphics for the post, please do yep. the UN task force page. Sure that, thing. That's where it just completely accelerates into crazy town.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> uh, just think, this is the guy that went on to write Captain Atom and uh, the Trial of Flash. So, all right, the next one. I really like this next one. This one's sort of like. I think this one's kinda of heartwarming. All right, the next one is Man with the Golden Gloves from Strange Sports Stories number four from nineteen seventy four. Written by Denny O'Neill with art by Irv Noick and Dick Giardano and it's ten pages. So you know it's gonna be gorgeous. A boxer is confronted by his young son who no longer wants anything to do with his dad's brutal, dangerous career. The father insists that as long as he's got his golden boxing glove charm his wife and his son's mother gave him, nothing will happen to him. Later that night, the boxer and his son are attacked by another fighter who lost a bout with the father and is out for revenge. The father is killed his last gesture giving the golden boxing glove charm to his son. Then we jump forward a number of years. The young son has grown up to become a police detective and is investigating some rigged boxing matches. While unpacking some boxes, the son soon comes across the golden boxing glove charm given to him by his father. Then, shockingly, at that same moment, the son is attacked and kidnapped by his father's murderer, who's now older and still bitter. The son finds himself in a boxing ring about to be pummeled to death by some goons who work for his father's murderer. To make matters worse, the detective hands are stuck inside 50-pound weights so he can't fight off the fighters that are there to beat him to a pulp. Mysteriously, though, though, because it's strange stories, uh, the, the weights turn to golden boxing gloves, which he uses then to knock out his foes. The son then notices the boxing glove charm on his wrist, even though he didn't place it there himself, a dying gift from his father for luck. I love this story. I think it's very sweet, very charming. It's sort of almost like uh, how the dare the the story of Daredevil from Marvel could have gone if he hadn't you know become superhero? What do you think of it?
1: Uh, you know, this is one of those ones where I don't. I it's in a book called Strange Sports Story, so it has to be strange. But to me, this part didn't. This story doesn't need the sci-fi element. Like I thought, the rest of it worked just fine. Okay. And when all of a sudden you get the magical gloves, it's just kind of like what? Like so that's the part I don't like. But I mean, it wouldn't have been in the book otherwise.
0: Right. Well, I mean that that's the part that's necessary to make it, the the son realize that right. the charm really is you know a gift from his father that that it is very meaningful. So yeah, I think it's necessary. But I I enjoy the heck out of this one. Again, I, I could see, like, Matt Murdock having, you know, if he hadn't gone blind, going into police work and this being sort of a, almost like a, a what-if for Daredevil kind of thing.
1: The handsome look, as you mentioned, the artwork's really nice. It looks, oh, it looks yeah. really good.
0: I I enjoyed it. All right. <laughs> a lot more than the next one.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, this is – okay. The next one's only four pages, so, you know, how angry can you get at it? Uh, a lot. A volley – well, just – okay. Volley of Death, Strange Sports Stories Number 2, 1973 by Frank Robbins and Dick Giordano. Only four pages – So we don't have a lot of time to get into this. A man finds himself in a tennis match that, instead of a ball, uses a live grenade. As he tries desperately to keep the grenade from hitting the ground, he thinks back to how he was trained from birth to be a championship tennis player by his fanatical father. It then dawns dawns on him that his sparring partner isn't even human. It's a robot! He delivers a crushing backhand, causing the grenade to explode, destroying his opponent. That's the whole story. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Um... This is again really goofy. The robot element is like, what? Like, what does it do? But it's so pretty to look at because it's drawn by Dick Giordano, and that's sure. what makes it look great. But like, the whole idea is that the Andy realizes that the, the that the player is a robot because he's not sweating, isn't have a beard. Like, at four pages, there's just not enough space to really get into all these bizarro concepts.
0: Well, the the logic of, of figuring out the guy's a robot just doesn't track. I'm no, sorry. I mean, no, yeah. that's why I got mad at it. It's like it's like it's almost like, hey. I like candy. Candy's made from sugar. You know, let's destroy the sugar sugar cane. I don't know. It's like, whatever. It's it's like what? How did that logic happen? And then he frickin' and lobs and a live grenade at this poor guy who he just decides must be a robot. You know? You and thank God he was right. Right? Yeah. If you've been wrong, I mean, geez. So this one didn't resonate real well with me. Let's just say <laughs> you have to admit it's handsome to look at. Yes, it is a beautiful to look at. Right. So, Alright, now this next one, see, I feel like this one kind of broke the goofy meter here, but almost like in more of a, a fun kind of way. This one
1: definitely one, gives faceless baseball players a run for its money. No <laughs> doubt
0: about it. It's called A Tall Tale of Ten Pins from Strange Sports Stories Number 1 Boy, they were leading with their best in 1973 uh, by Frank Robbins, Kurt Swan and Bob Oxner. So, I mean, it's, it's attractive to look at. It's ten pages. Uh, after embarrassingly losing a bowling match, a young man named Rip Wanders into the woods and gets lost. He decides to follow the river. When he trips and falls, rolling down a hill, he finds himself interrupting a game of skittles played by five dwarves dressed in middle-aged garb. He tells them his name. <laughs> I know dwarves. What? And I don't. We don't mean like dwarves, like you know, uh, little people. We mean straight up like Snow White kind of dwarves. Uh... <laughs> He uh, he tells them his name is Ripley Van Winkle. Really? Get it? Get it? Uh, and they wonder if he isn't a descendant of their pal, the legendary Rip Van Winkle. They offer to teach him the art of bowling on one condition, that he never uses skills to bowl a perfect game, for that would be an act of vanity. What? Uh, Rip agrees and learns from the dwarves, and he's getting pretty good at the game himself. Rip then bumps his head, clumsy guy here, uh, on a tree branch, and is woke up by his friends when they find him. They then go play another round of bowling, and Rip's so desperate to impress the, the two girls that are there, much like something Rob would do. He uses his new skills to show what a master he is, and just as he's about to bowl a perfect game, one of the dwarves appears in front of the ten pin, kicking the ball away into the gutter. Uh, only Rip actually saw the dwarf, but the rest of the kids saw the ball go wild. Rip learns that when you get too big for your boots, sometimes you get a kick right. You know, I'm sorry, sometimes you get a kick in the right place. What would you think of this one, Rob?
1: Uh, <laughs> again, these stories are not for the faint of heart. Uh, you, this one is even kind of more goofy than faceless baseball players, just because it throws in so many more different ideas, like. He's Riffran Winkle and the dwarves and the bowling, and then the, the dwarf re- reappears. and uh, But because, like, as you mentioned, Strum by Kurt Swan, it has a lighter touch. And because it has a kind of Twilight Zone-y ending, it sort of, quote-unquote, works better because it's just meant to be so silly. I mean, it's all just about this guy just getting his sort of comeuppance, even though I don't know if he really yeah. deserves it. But it's, again, it's just so incredibly silly.
0: At least this one, as compared to the faceless ones, this one sort of, like, is more self-aware that it's silly. It knows the dwarves are silly. It knows the dwarf kicking the pin at the end is silly. It it, it knows that going in. Uh, whereas the other one, the, the faceless ones, is treated completely serious.
1: Right, yes. You know, so, yeah. And it's weird how these are, like, really tiny dwarves, because in the last page, the dwarf is smaller than a bowling pin. Right. That's really small. Like, dwarf, dwarves, <laughs> are not, dwarves are not a foot high. Like, it's more like a lawn like, gnome. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just so, again, much like with Dick Dillon, how did Kurt Swan ever have time to do this? He was cranking out like 70 pages of Superman every month. How did he have right. time to do
0: this? I, people had a different kind of work ethic in the old days. So, all right, you're up, sir. All
1: right, the next one is The Man Who Leaped Over the Earth from the Strange Sports Stories Number 3, 1974, by Elliot S. Magan and Dick Giordano. Once again, in the year 3100 A.D., the Interplanetary Olympics are taking place. One of the new events is time vaulting, where a contestant leaps through time and space itself. But something goes wrong, and Rally York finds himself in 1970's New York City. Realizing he needs to find the biggest radio wave transmitter possible to send him back home, he befriends the young boy to help him get to the top of the Empire State Building. Defying the police, he leaps atop the building so he can communicate with his people in the future. He leaps back to the exact spot he landed at and is whisked away back to his normal time. But before he does, he gives the boy... Uh, He gives the young boy his reward for helping, a metal ID card that shows that the young man will grow up to be president of the Interplanetary Olympics in the far-flung year of 1992. Ooh, I remember that. Yeah, we all (laughs) remember the Interplanetary
0: Olympics. Well, Tanya Harding was in the first Interplanetary Interplanetary Olympics, wasn't she?
1: (laughs) She hired that robot to smash Nancy Kerrigan's knee. Right. Um, Yeah, this, again, incredibly goofy, but brought to life by Dick Jordan doing penciling and inking. And time travel stories are funny. The whole notion of the guy vaulting around New York City is just so silly you can't really, you know, tolerate it too well. But, again, it's so pretty to look at, that it's not too bad.
0: I, I actually really like it. I really like the the, t- the time vaulting. It's just like a cool idea, being a, of a time travel concept and the way it's illustrated. I mean, it's really a beautiful, beautiful one. Out of I don't want to say of all the stories it's the prettiest, but it, it is definitely a very eye-catching story. I love the art in this thing. And him vaulting over the Earth, the way you can sort of see the stars through him and stuff,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I dig it. Now, I do have a question. Grammatically, which shouldn't it be the man who leapt over the Earth?
1: You know, I don't know. (gasps) I think you're
0: probably right. Wait a minute. I think I just noticed something. So this is Strange Sports Stories number three, and I'm going to be covering, I Wonder. Okay. So in a minute, we're going to be covering my favorite story in the book, which is Warrior of the Weightless World, uh, which was published in 1963 in Brave and the Bold. If you look... Uh, in this one, uh, Rob, on page 56 of the Digest, or it's page 2 of this story, there is a cube, and it looks like it's zero gravity. I think those guys are playing space ball. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I seriously doubt it's a true homage to the later story in this book, but it sure looks like it, doesn't it?
1: I could, yeah, I kind of see what you're talking about.
0: Because they That's had those transparent, weightless, yeah. rec, you know, not cubes, but uh, whatever you call it, rectangle when it's a three-dimensional thing. Eh, I don't know. Sorry, right. it's not worth really getting into. <laughs> but I, I couldn't help think about it. All right. The next one is definitely something that belonged in more of like an EC book, I would say. Uh, the Hockey Mask of Death from Strange Sports Stories Number 5, 1974, uh, written by Frank Robbins uh, with art by John Rosenberger, and it's 10 pages. So follow this one here, folks. A lumberjack enraged by an accusation made about his father by a coworker accidentally beheads the coworker. That can happen. Yes. I, right. I mean, I'm sure it could happen to your office any day, I'm sure. Uh, panicked, he then hides the body inside the trunk of a hollow tree, telling the rest of the Lumberjacks that the man quit the trade and left for Alaska. His flimsy story is pretty much accepted because everyone is concerned about the big hockey game scheduled for the next day. The game goes on, and when the opposing team's goalie is injured, they don't know who they're to turn to as a replacement. Suddenly, a mysterious man with a skull-faced mask offers to fill in as the goalie. The new goalie seems to have uh, supernatural skills and eventually reveals himself to be the avenging blade of justice. So uh, as they're playing this game of hockey, our, our I, 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 I hesitate to say protagonist, but the lumberjack we've been following in the story, uh, he's there playing against the, uh, the goalie and a chunk of ice breaks away uh, as they're playing on it. And left on there are the lumberjack we're following and the goalie and it starts to flow down the river, and a fight ensues. It's a very dramatic battle, with lots of tension rising as the ice chunk is just floating down the river towards a massive waterfall. The lumberjack tries to chop the goalie's head off, apparently that's his his signature move, Uh, only to see that the goalie has no head. Uh, The the mask just flies off and keeps talking. Uh, They plunge over the waterfall with the lumberjack being killed, and the goalie is now able to rest, for he has gotten revenge on the son of the man who killed him. (laughs) Da-da-da! So, what you you think of this one,
1: buddy? I think you're right that this is definitely the most EC like story because it's got like some real violence in it and the whole idea of revenge and stuff like that. So, you, you could, this one is, I could see being in the unexpected or House mm-hmm. of Secrets or something like that. So, uh, I like it because it just, it does have more of that hook, no pun intended, of just that kind of like, you know. It's a murder, and it's an avenging murder, and then the sport thing just sort of enters into it kind of at the end. So this, I like this one a lot, kind of unironically.
0: Okay. Uh, I thought it was fine. I like the art. Uh, the, I, I'm not familiar, and someone's probably going to write in a scathing letter going, Shine doesn't know who John Rosenberger is. But um, I, I, he has a very, I don't know, it's distinct inking style. I mean, the lines are thicker. It's kind of fun. Uh, the, the mask looks really, the, the skull mask looks Functional yet spooky and cool. I I enjoyed the art in this one quite a bit.
1: Somewhere a young Jason Voorhees saw this and was like, "That's a good idea." Yeah,
0: that could do something. I could do something with that. (laughs) All right. Up next is this is my favorite one here, and I can't. I don't know why exactly. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's the action, adventure, spy kind of angle of it, or maybe it's the Carmen Infantino art. I don't know. I love this next one. It's Uh, also the only one
1: that's not from the same time period. Like all these other ones are from the seventies, and then this one goes back from the sixties.
0: That maybe that's part of it because I'm you know I'm not the world's biggest Bronze Age fan, but um, so it's Warrior of the Weightless World from Brave and the Bowl number forty nine, nineteen sixty three by John Broom, Carmen Infantino, and Joe Giella. It's twelve pages. In the year two thousand one hundred ninety four, the new sport of the future is spaceball. That's not to be confused with the Mel Brooks movie. Please, uh, spaceball combines zero gravity with basketball and billiards, where the players are the billiard balls. Our story opens at the Spaceball Championship game, where the start of the match has been delayed, and we meet a veteran coach who's explaining to a new player why the entire stadium of fans is willing to wait for one solitary spectator to arrive. Uh, the, the, the one they're all waiting on is Dr. Cray Duncan, also known as Mr. Spaceball, apparently, and then we're treated to a tale from many, many years ago young Cray Duncan, was an exceptional spaceball player, though he didn't really love the game. He was only playing it so he could save money so he could earn his medical degree and become a doctor. When war broke out between Earth and the Creon Empire, Cray enlisted himself to fight. He intended to serve in a hospital unit, but instead was relegated to entertaining the troops playing, you guessed it, Spaceball. Poor guy. It's kind of like uh, the first Captain America movie. Uh, However, his knowledge and his expert abilities in Spaceball were invaluable during a secret mission behind enemy lines on a zero-gravity world. A mission that turned the tide and ended the war. Now we leap forward back to modern day where they're in the the, the championship game, and uh, the, the, the reason why the entire stadium was willing to wait is because it's for the one spectator, Dr. Cray Duncan, Mr. Spaceball. I just think, I think the story is endearing. I love this character. I love that he plays sports but doesn't care about him. All he cares about is becoming a doctor. And then the, then he uses these billies to go on a secret mission. Again, it kind of reminds me of the Captain America movie, the first one, because there's some parallels there. Where you know he has the skills, he goes in there to you know, help serve and ends up having a ridiculous, entertaining role, but still goes on a mission to save a bunch of people. So I don't know. What would you think of it?
1: Um, it was funny. Uh, all the other synopses for the stories. I'll pull back the curtain a little. I wrote all the synopses for these stories, and yeah. I, I wrote them firsthand. I got to this one, and I gave up uh, because Joe, cause, uh, John Broom is famous for writing really complex stories. Good, good stories, but complex. Oh. This, this one was so involved that I just stole it from Comic Vine. I just couldn't do it. I was just okay. – like, ran out of energy. I was like, I can't. I like we're going back, and then it's this other thing, and there's this other rule about – so I, I will admit this one I, I, I took because I just couldn't. It was just so well. – and then you wrote it. And then you I completely rewrote it. Yeah. I rewrote
0: So this was, was, you know, probably, I don't know, 30% of whatever you copied and 70% of what I wrote. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause I was just like, I didn't write all this cause I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't bear it. I was just so exhausted by trying to condense these insane stories. Um, I like it a lot. It's, it's fun. It's like, uh, you know, it feels like a flash comic, which is yeah. John Broom wrote a lot of that stuff. And in Infantino in the sixties was at the, at its prime. So it's just like a goofy silly sci-fi day. You can practically hear like the Jetsons music in the background as they play because everything is all the cities are like that we see everything's like clean and beautiful and flat and just kind of has these solid colors in the background. It's a you know, it's like a classic optimist sci-fi, you know, like right after yeah. the space program where everything's going to be during the space program, everything's great and it's going to be wonderful. Scientists are going to come with all sorts of amazing things. It's it's, it's got that kind of feel to it.
0: It really reminds me of um, like almost like a space museum story. Yes, because uh, you know, I mean they're they're not there looking at an artifact, but there is a, It's the same sort of thing where it's like, hey, what's this thing in the present day? Let me tell you a story about the past and how it all fits together. You right. know, it's it's very much like a space museum story. I, I it's just charming. I love it. Yeah, and again,
1: it's very handsome to look at because you said you've got Infantino yep. in the 70s. So. All right, well, the last story we've got <laughs> is... Uh... <laughs> Set your goofy meter, folks. <laughs> well, you have to reset the goofy meter. We're already yep. broken. i got to reset it. Uh, gridiron Nightmare from Strange Sports Stories number 3, 1974. Frank Robbins, Kurt Swan again, and Dick Giordano again. The football coach of Coldstream U is frustrated that he has no good prospects this year since the whole student body is a bunch of eggheads. Meanwhile, question mark, 1,400 years ago, I loved writing that, meanwhile, 1,400 years ago. In in Camelot, King Arthur, who is bored of jousting, asks Merlin to come up with a new source of entertainment. Consulting one of his ancient tomes, Merlin assumes a spectral form and travels to the future, spying on a game the Coldstream U is losing. He converts the team's uniforms to the garb of knights, which helped them turn the tide of the game. Because, of course, he does. Merlin returns to his time with his new game of football to show Arthur. Unfortunately, one kick of the ball from a Knights still tipped Booth tears the ball apart, ending the game. Back to the drawing board for Merlin. Whomp, <laughs> whomp, whomp. <laughs> yeah, again. So, I don't know if they gave Kurt Swan the more humorous ones on purpose, like they thought his style was more appropriate for that kind of thing, but they don't seem know. to give him this the, the, the goofier ones, and this one is definitely very, very goofy cuz, you know, I mean, it's got you've got King Arthur and Merlin and the 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 I love that um like they talk about the Coldstream U is kind of like a, a school for eggheads and so right and so why do you even have a football team then? Like wiser, exactly. wiser. It's an MIT. Team?
0: Does MIT have a football team?
1: Yeah. Except so like, it was like, oh, all the team is a bunch of eggheads. Well, what did you expect? Like, that's <laughs> you know, we didn't have a football team at the Cubert School because none of us could run ten feet without keeling over. So you and
0: Tom's all going kind to of yeah, play. That'd be yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah,
1: that was that so was like. One part
0: that cracked me up is you know, King Arthur falls asleep. He he right. tells he tells Merlin what he wants and falls asleep. And then Guinevere has to basically explain it to Merlin what he's got to do. And what I'm reading this is I'm going. No, 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 this is, Guinevere just wants Merlin to get a bunch of sexy, you know, football guys, you know, around here. It's probably what she really wants. And uh, I think she was manipulating Merlin from the start there.
1: Yeah, it's, the artwork I mentioned again, it's by Kurt Swan. It's very nice because there's different panels where he cuts to the action in silhouette form, which really gives it some nice visual life. Like, it breaks things up really well. I have, like, every so often these intermittent panels, they're yellow background, with red sound effects and then just silhouette. So I think it, oh, not only is it is yeah, yeah. Not, not only is it probably a little easier for Kurt to draw, but it just it, it helps declutter the page a little because a lot of these scenes take place in the stadium, so there's a lot going on so he's got I mean,
0: to draw all these football players. He's draw all these them, football
1: yeah. players. So I like the visual trick of occasionally just cutting to these silhouettes. I think that's a nice touch.
0: When 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 the players are all wearing medieval armor, running around the football field, and the other team's like, "What's going on?" And apparently, they're the only ones who can see the armor. Right? I mean, it's, right
1: their coaches like, "What are you guys talking about?" They're they're, they're dressed normally. Yeah.
0: It's like no, they're wearing armor, and it's just it's, and then they just start plowing through the other team, and it all all is a, a you know basic gimmick is it gives them confidence. So when Merlin takes away the armor, the 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 Eggheads still have the confidence to play well, and it's just like oh my god, this one I felt like was tipping the goofy meter as well, big time.
1: And because this is a code approved comic.
0: Like, you don't have the players
1: that are playing against the guys in the night garb, like, not all torn up, like their flesh ripped apart. Because I imagine if you tried to tackle a guy in a night costume, you would walk away with tons of cuts. Oh, yeah. Bruises all over. But instead, everybody just kind of shakes it off.
0: Right. Well, uh, it was fun. It was fun. Oh, I now love we... this
1: collection. It's so silly. I love it. I really love it. And I love that DC was willing to do something so drastically uncommercial by doing... A sports collection because I would think most comic fans did not want to read these stories
0: well the, the series itself must have lasted a while I mean let's see uh, we've got stuff from strange sports, well strange sports stories number three uh, what it's else only like
1: three four and five
0: five yeah I guess it only goes up to issue five doesn't it well they were probably every other month back then so it's probably ten you know ten months worth but uh yeah it's it was goofy fun I, it, I'm glad we did it I, I really am and some oh, yeah, of these stories are yeah. really charming and really endearing so I, I loved it now there's a fun thing we got to talk about at the end here so it has a cover gallery so you get to see some of the strange sports stories covers and you, sure enough you can see how the, some of these stories are represented on the covers but the, the inside back cover has a story called Baseball Without a Bat by Bob Rosakis uh, where he talks about how when he was a kid he used to play baseball with a deck of cards I've never heard of this had you heard of this before? Here? No I have not Where you take all 52 of the cards and you assign them different roles. I mean, I'm not going to go through all of this, but like uh, when you're flipping a card, anything that's a two through a five represents a sacrifice fly. You know, six through ten represents a sacrifice bunt. And a jack through ace represents a double play. You know, and like, it's like, wow, how cool. So you can actually play a game of uh, a, a baseball using these cards. And he says he sort of used that to help him design the game itself in the first story and how it went with the superheroes and supervillains. Which made a lot of sense though, later on when I'm reading it, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, this guy bunted, really? He could have knocked that thing out of the park, you know, sort of thing. And I I think I could see why he used those, but um, I thought those was a really cool idea. Yeah, it's fun. I've played similar
1: card games, not like that, but that kind of idea that the card represents this, represents that, so. Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a nice little filler and it's nice that Rosakis did it because he wrote of course wrote the main story. Right. So then it comes in at the end. By the way, as you were talking, um Strange Sports Stories, the original series ran six issues. Uh-huh and it was brought back as a vertigo title and ran for four issues and was collected in trade paperback form which you can get on in stock trades right now for $8.24.
0: Oh my gosh. I had no the idea best that existed. In
1: yeah, otherwise I would have looked that one up. It's got it's got art by Gilbert Hernandez and Paul Pope, who is one of my favorite people, so I got to get this. I had no idea you know, this
0: existed. Now that you're saying it. It's almost like it's tickling something in my back of my mind where I like I seem to recall Vertigo doing this from you know an old goofy seventy series. I, th- I think I remember this actually. <laughs> yeah,
1: I had no that, idea. So there you go. That
0: is absolutely bonkers. Oh my gosh. Well, super fun. Uh, again, DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest and number thirteen, uh, Strange Sports Stories was. Super fun, and I'm glad we got a chance to do that. I, I These these Digests are so much fun to do, Rob. I'm enjoying yeah. the hell up.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 I was super – when I picked it two months ago, I was like, I can't wait really to talk about this one because it's just so
0: goofy. Can we just chuck the whole Firestorm and Aquaman thing and just do Digests?
1: <laughs> maybe. Maybe we'll take a – maybe after 200, we'll wrap it up on fireboard 200. <laughs> we don't, song, just
0: do I don't think we really mean that, folks. But, you know, right now I'm enjoying the Digest quite a bit. Right. So, speaking of which, we should probably talk about y'all. Specifically, you at home, your feedback from the second digest we did, which was the uh, collection of the best stories from 1980. 1980 I think. Yes,
1: 1980, yep.
0: yep. So what we did was again since this is the digest cast we're trying to make everything a little more shorter so the feedback section we pretty much just focused on the the comments on our website so if you want your thoughts right on the show be sure to leave your comments on our website which is firewaterpodcast.com go up there again to the uh, the digest cast show and leave your comments there first comment comes from Joe X he says uh we were pretty hard on that Jonathan Kent story uh, in the last one if you recall yes uh, and so he says that Jonathan Kent story was partly carried over from the New Adventures of Superboy number five, which, I, if you remember, in the story Jonathan Kent made a deal with these aliens. That's where that part comes from. He goes, uh, it took me years to get the second part. Those super, and then he goes on to say the supermarket checkout slots are a hella expensive, and it makes sense for Marvel to co-opt Archie rather than start from scratch. Absolutely right, Joe. We couldn't agree with you more. That was the only way anyone was going to get in the grocery store was actually to work with Archie, and that was an idea that, honestly, we we knew we wanted comics in grocery stores, Rob, but I don't think either one of us even considered the idea of actually working, that somebody could work with Archie to get that slot. No.
1: no, Yeah, that's a, a totally new idea. Good on Marvel. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to get those things out Uh, We got an email from Chuck Coletta. He says, uh, well, comment, I'm sorry, from Chuck Coletta. He says, Love the episode as this digest was one of the very first comics I ever bought. (laughs) Rexall Drugstore, (laughs) shout out to them. But I hate to disagree with you guys on the Jonathan Kent story. If We're going to be hearing a lot of that. Yes, it may be hokey, but it's heartfelt. Even as a kid, I liked the idea that Pa Kent got to see his son as Superman, if only for one day. I always hate it when the powers that be decide the Kents have to be dead in the current continuity of the moment. I'd love to see Mon Pa Kent interacting with the new Superboy, for example. Uh, and then we talk about the Sergeant Rock collections, and he talks about, he says, I never had these, so I don't know what stories they contain. Is there a listing anywhere online of all the DC Digests that were published over the years? Yes, if you go to my blog, which is digestcomics.blogspot.com, you can click the link for DC, and it'll show you all the DC Digests that have been uh, reprinted. Um, Because he he thought I was talking about uh, when I said there was only one Sergeant Rock Digest, he thought I meant the, the 70s ones, or the 80s ones, and I was talking about, no, I meant the newer one, the newest right. collection from like 2000, and then Ryan straightens him out in a uh, later comment. But uh, yeah, you can see the covers, and the I get into posts for all the DC Digests over on the blog.
0: It's actually an invaluable resource. When we first started talking about doing this show, uh, I dived deep into that site, and that's how I sort of compiled my digest list of stuff to go shopping for. So it was great, great site. Don't tell Rob I said that, guys. Um, then we heard from our buddy Al Gerding, formerly of the All Star Comics Review podcast. He says, I can totally understand not covering those Archie digests. I can imagine you won't have enough time after you podcast about all the Richie Rich digests. He says, Irona is hot. Or that may be a mechanical breakdown. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, God. I didn't even know. I, I didn't even think about the fact there was Richie Rich Digest. There certainly were, weren't there?
1: Maybe a million of them.
0: Uh, maybe we can get some Hot Stuff Digest. We might talk about it. We'll see.
1: <laughs> uh, Robert Markham says, when gistering on Scooby-Doo, Batman and company had the same cast as the 1968 cartoon. Olin Soule as Batman, Alfred Pennyworth, and the Mayor. Casey Kasem as Robin and Chief Clancy O'Hara. Larry Storch as the Joker. Jane Webb as Batgirl and Catwoman. Ted Knight as Commissioner James Gordon, the narrator, the Penguin, the Riddler, Mr. Freeze, Scarecrow, and Simon the Pyman, according to IMDb. When's he going to get a movie?
0: Well, and that's all in reference to me. I was saying when I read the Joker story, I kept hearing the Joker's voice from the old cartoon. So, yes, thank you very much, Robert. That is exactly the Joker voice I could hear while I was reading that Batman story. Really appreciate that.
1: Uh, David M. Gutierrez from Pod, Dylan's uh, executive producer, of course. He says, man, I love this show. Not much to add, but it's nice to see Hex getting some love. Good note on this serving is a back-issue library for those that missed the initial printing. It's easy to forget stuff now – forget that stuff now that we live in the future. And he says, I was totally being sincere about reviewing Archie, you jerks.
0: <laughs> well, the, my, my local comic shop has a bookcase, and one shelf is entirely filled from side to side, top to bottom, of Archie Digests. So we may break down and, and do one at some point, but it's, it's, not, it's not high on our list right now because there's so many other stuff we want to get to first. I,
1: again, I don't even know how you review... 80 pages of Archie stories.
0: I, I just don't know how you do it. Well, same way. We just reviewed a whole digest of
1: sports well, stories. But there's no conflict, you know? Like, okay. Oh,
0: there's conflict. Betty and Veronica are always screwing each other over to try and, you know, get laid and stuff. So it's okay. uh, there's conflict there. All right. Uh, don't get me started on Betty and Veronica. Oh my gosh, I, I could go on for hours. Um, Dishwater Danny wrote in to say very fun episode, and I would like to personally thank you guys for getting the ball rolling on Marvel Comics and Archie joining forces to pull out uh, to put out the Digest Comics. I can't wait to find them at my local supermarket checkout. I would also like to add that in a year from now, if I do not see them on supermarket shelves, I will also hold you two responsible for this. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems fair. Fair but, enough. That is yeah. fair. Yep. I'm good with that. Uh, then during the last episode, I made a point of asking Rob what were his favorite stories in that collection because I had picked mine. And then we got sidetracked and Rob interrupted me, and I never actually got to say what my favorite stories from that collection were. So here they are. Uh, my favorite stories in order were Pinball, which was that Tales of the Gotham City story. I absolutely loved that one in the last collection. Uh, the Jonah Heck story and the Sergeant Rock story. You notice none of them were the superhero stories, oddly enough. But I, I just enjoyed the heck out of each one of those stories. I thought they were great, and I, it's kind of why I love that you know Year's Best stories because it gives me a chance to read something different than I because I'm I pretty much just read superhero comics it just over and over and over. Uh, it, you know, it's rinse repeat. But uh, reading those offbeat kind of ones, it just really resonated. I loved it.
1: Okay. Uh, Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog, Common Commentary, and Legion of Superbloggers were in. I not only had this digest, I had many of, the story, many of the stories as well. So delighted to have you review it. And as usual, I have a bunch of comments. I love the action comic story. While I understand that the star sign plot and the alien wish gas is absolutely ludicrous, I love the <coughs> paw Ken aspect of the story. At this point, Superman's inability to cure the kents from the tropical disease they had was one of his greatest failings. To see how happy Superman was to interact with his Pa again was fantastic, and that moment between Lois and Pa in the second half is just fantastic as well. She teases that she had already figured his secret identity herself. If you don't get some warmth from seeing Clark hanging out with his dad, then you are heartless. (laughs) Ouch. Um, Okay, Inch. You know what? Before I move on to his other comments, I do want to mention I actually I did like that part of it—the idea that Pa Kent gets to see Superman one last time. I didn't like that it was done via aliens. And the, the, the hippie with the powers. I think if they had found a different way of getting to that plot point, I would have liked it a lot more. But to me, the – it, it was the, the Pa Kent portion smooshed with the alien – Thing that's the that's the part I objected to because like, yeah it's I not I enjoyed
0: I enjoyed the scenes with Pocket like you just said the the aliens that sent him there I mean it was that was a very small portion of it but the Starshine thing though was just ludicrous
1: yeah I that, I mean, that was a
0: goofy meter breaker right there
1: yeah maybe if there had been like a face faceless basketball team or something that might have done
0: it for me. that would have made more sense or yeah. uh you know or a a bunch of little dwarves
1: <laughs> yeah the bowling uh, bowling playing
0: at, skittles 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 playing.
1: skittles that's right anyway Andrew continues he says. The Dead Man Story. I am shocked, shocked. There was a Dead Man Story where he's complaining to Rama Kushner about his mission, only to <laughs> agree to keep going on at the end. On I forget, was there an upshot of him cursing the heavens?
0: <laughs> the, the upshot is that it was uh, amazingly rendered by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his, his name. name.
1: That's right. That's why I never get tired of looking
0: at it. Right. Uh, he
1: goes on, he says, I wonder if the heck story was cashing in on the popularity of the book Shogun by Clavell, or the miniseries of the book with Richard Chamberlain. Also, do either of you think there is a whiff of the Searchers movie here? That's an interesting idea. I hadn't really made the Searchers connection, uh, but I see it now that you've pointed it out. And yeah, probably Shogun was kind of a hot property around that time. Well, so maybe Fleischer got a little bit of that, you know, inspiration.
0: Well, they addressed it actually in the letters, uh, the, the whatever—not the letters page—but they have that you know text piece in the back where they said that that story was published before *Shogun*.
1: Oh, so, okay.
0: but it, it really, if you stop and think about it, it would have been probably after *Shogun* the book, right? But before but the, the *Shogun* miniseries, series. Right. yeah. So. Eh. I I can't speak to the Searchers part, but the Shogun part, they claim didn't affect it. So, hmm. who knows? Uh, then we heard from Sphinx Magoo. It says, Rob defending the Legion from Shag? Further proof <laughs> that I've fallen into an alternate universe. Yes, last episode I had a lot of problems with that Legion story, uh, including the way the young ladies were dressed I thought was ridiculous. And uh, Rob enjoyed the story more than me, and that is just bizarro world. So, to celebrate, we're going to have Rob on the next uh, Who's Who in the Legion. No, we're not. No, no. Uh,
1: Chris <laughs> Franklin from our network, which is from, he does Supermates, he does Power Records with me, Batman Nightcast with Ryan, and he also does the Where He to Get His Wonderful Toys solo podcast, and of course the new show with me, Superman Movie Minute. He oh, writes, that's, right. that's right. He writes in to say, First off, thanks for reading my story of Woe aloud. I feel as if a 35 year old weight has been lifted from my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> that story of him with the book is just so sad.
0: If that's all it takes is to, like, confess your guilt on a podcast, I kind of start unloading here. We're going to do,
1: like, a true confessions podcast. Right. Secondly, great episode. I'm going to dust off my Optimus Prime voice and fly the flag for Transformers fans on the network. Boxes transform and roll out. (laughs) How can they roll out their boxes, Chris? That makes no sense.
0: You put little uh, cardboard wheels on them. Um, so we Rob Rob went off on Transformers last time and if you haven't had a chance to hear it we actually turned that around on Rob and celebrated Rob's distaste for the Transformers on our April Fool's Day episode uh, on the network if you go find uh, it was Gimme Those Star Wars but it was labeled as a Ghostbusters show it's on April 1st under Gimme Those Star Wars it's a Ghostbusters episode there are many references to Rob's love of the Transformers on that in fact we took a clip from the last digest cast and played During the show So I I thought that was just an absolute hoot So uh, we celebrate (laughs) Uh, Chris goes on to say And yes, add Walt Simonson to the list of artists Who can draw a good Teen Wonder Robin Because I had mentioned not a lot of people Could draw a good Teen Wonder besides Perez So obviously Simonson's on the list He also says Marshall Rogers and Jim Aparo Don Newton and Dick Giordano Also come to mind Eh, All good points, good points Mm -hmm. Then he goes on and, and he goes And here we go, Chris defending Kurt Swan again Pull up a chair, kids. Yes, it's JLGL, P-B-H-N. His art is lyrical and dynamic, but Swan's art has a quiet dignity, especially for personal moments like those in this story. And he never, quote, lost his touch like some of his peers, namely Infantino and Don Heck. You can't argue with that. Uh, He says he's still outshining many of DC's artists at the time. No, that's a fair point. That is a very fair point. Kurt Swan's art was always consistent. That is absolutely true.
1: Yep. Uh, he also goes on. He says, as for Sergeant Rock saluting the German, it reminds me of the Burn enemy A story from 1989's Christmas with the superheroes when Von Hammer salutes a list of fallen American soldiers after bringing provisions to an enemy hospital. Uh, maybe. I don't know. There's just something about uh, the rock saluting a german officer that just didn't sit well with me but again as and i said uh, during the show i am not here to question sergeant rock's uh, characterization as written by robert canninger what the hell do i know right if bob Kaniger thinks it's appropriate then it's appropriate
0: Uh, we heard from our buddy Mark Baker-Wright from BlackRock's Toy Box. Uh, he says, how interesting that you guys covered that Dead Man story right now as I just finished reading it as part of a collection of Superman JLGLPBHN B-H-N. stories. Uh, usually I'm learning about the stories as you guys tell me about them. Enjoyed it as always. Thanks, Mark.
1: Very cool. Luke Dobb from the Creative Spirit podcast. He just posted a new episode actually of that show from Dobb Creative as well. He says, Let me get this straight. Rob likes a Legion story and Shag thinks the ladies are underdressed. Are we sure this isn't bizarro cast? <laughs> 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 also, those JLGL pages are gorgeous. Well, he didn't he didn't put it in, so I didn't add it. He
0: That's says, his fault then.
1: Right. He says, also those JLGL pages are gorgeous. When is DC going to give us a JLGL omnibus? No. That, that would be great. There is a collection of JLGL stories that you can buy on uh, in stock trades, which appeared, I plugged it on the, the most recent episode of Treasury Cast. So there is that, but it's not an omnibus. Huh. But boy, he sure does deserve one.
0: I and mean, Perez got those Justice League omnibuses. I mean, uh, one with JLGL PBHN would be fantastic. Yep. All right. We heard from Brian Linton. That acronym thing is getting on my nerves, by the way. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Brian Linton says, I find it interesting with Archie will be sharing the grocery store aisle with Marvel while sharing the airways. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do this justice. He says he finds it interesting that Archie will be sharing the grocery store aisle with Marvel. Meanwhile, Archie is sharing the airwaves with DC on the CW. Huh. Oh, sounds irony. like. I know, sounds like Archie might be playing both sides of the fence. Between Marvel and DC, I wonder which is Betty and which is Veronica. Uh-oh, I just warned you. I could talk about Betty and Veronica for hours. Okay. So uh, Betty is definitely DC and Veronica is definitely Marvel. And Veronica is the loose one. I'm sorry, folks. She's the one that you're going to get a lot further with on the first date. It's just – there's no denying that. Terribly sorry. Uh, yeah, she's definitely the Marvel one. Okay. You, you can tell me I'm wrong.
1: Okay. Uh, speaking of floozies, Martin Gray wrote in to say He's <laughs> from the Two Dangers for a Girl blog He's a proud owner of several DC Digests himself He says, "Well, the,
0: uh, the bastard beat me in an eBay auction That's why
1: <laughs> He says, well, that is one great digest And here's something I'll never be able to say again My dear departed ma'am worked in a news agent's Back then and she'd bring me all the DC imports The stories in here really are great I shall have to get this digest Mind, I may have it in that pile of 16 I bought on eBay I didn't pay that much attention <laughs> <sighs> really didn't pay salt, that much we? attention
0: He's just really rubbing that one in Okay uh, Then he goes on The miraculous return of Jonathan Kent Is one of my all-time favorite comic stories um, There's so much familiar, fa- familial tenderness in them You know, Rob, maybe we just missed the mark On a review of that one Or everyone just disagrees with us One or the other I think it's more that. I stand by and my statement. And he go, he actually commends me. He says, good on Shag for standing up for it. Because uh, I did say, you know, I thought the uh, connections with his dad were really sweet. Because, mind, he's so wrong about Kurt Swan. What Chris, uh, what Chris said, he's basically saying what Chris said earlier about Kurt Swan is correct. And while I'm a massive fan of JLGL. PBHN. Uh, he, PBHN. In uh, his <laughs> Superman work. <laughs> or are just going to start saying it again. Anyway, in his Superman work, he stands on the shoulders of Kurt Swan. You know, that's fair. I mean, every... Every great artist stands on the shoulders of the artist who came before him. So Rob stands on the shoulders of Joe Cuber. Oh, God. That's
1: not even – that's not appropriate. Uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, he also says in relation to Chris's story about being uh, spanked at school, he says, We didn't have paddles at school, but I did get the strap a few times and the cane. Ah. Uh, Only on my hand, though, and no more than ten blows.
0: They don't screw around in Scotland, let what me tell you. What the hell? Or England or New Zealand or Dead. Austria, wherever the hell he's Dead. from. Like,
1: that is,
0: that's... that's bad. I think he's also really old, so like it was like the 1920s probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a bastard. And he did such like nice things for me recently. And I told you about this. He sent me this amazing care package of... Uh, of DC reprints from the UK, they include like just as little international reprints. they're amazing. so they're they're like a larger size like magazine size. it's right, not quite right. treasury, but you know they're bigger so they're beautiful. Martin,
1: Martin is exceedingly generous. He sent me something yes. too for for film and water. so he's a oh, very wow. generous person.
0: Supernight, and here I am, here we both are just to, we, we frequently pick on Martin horribly, just cause it's like a brother kind of thing, you know? You gotta make fun of your brothers, right? So uh, I heard from Bradley Null. He says, uh where I met oh he's talking about how this digest was where he met Dead Man. It's his favorite Legion of Superhero story, favorite Joker story. He goes, I love this digest. And well, that's two for two for him because he loved the JSA one as well. Very cool. All right, cool. We're on a roll. Oh, this, He probably ended it with this one. Right. Four uh, <laughs> <horror> stories.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite uh, Faceless Basketball uh, player story. Uh, Lucian <laughs> Lucien Desar writes in to say, I would pay $3 to hear Rob do an entire podcast covering a Transformers comic. Uh. Lucien, I got one word for you. Patreon. This is P.S. When I lived in Texas for part of second and third grade, they had a paddle. It scared the heck out of me. My dad said if any teacher laid a finger on me, he would beat the everloving and then it's all the special symbols for cursing out of them. So I like that. I like Papa Desar is like, you do not touch my boy. I, I appreciate that.
0: Wow. I think my dad would have been like, help them with the battle. But, uh, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: So then we heard from our buddy Siskoid is also from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does the First Strike Invasion podcast, the Oh Hot Move or Not podcast, the Give Me That Star Trek podcast, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast. <sighs> I take a breath. Uh, Siskoid's blog at Geekery, the Legion of Superbloggers, and the upcoming Fire Water Team-Up podcast and Kung Fu Fridays That guy, he's got to get a life. Cisco, you know, actually, the comment I have is, is shorter than everything I just read. Anyway, Cisco goes on to say, I wonder if the superhero content in this digest is due to being put together by certain editorial office or two. Or were Batman and Superman really that much more popular? Hmm. that's an interesting question. I do believe it had a lot to do with the editors. I really do. Because uh, as Rob and I talked at great length about last time, you know, no Wonder Woman stories, no Flash stories, no Green Lantern stories. Yeah, it's, I think it had to do with some of the editorial team. I think you're right, Sisquid.
1: All right. Uh, Ward Hill Terry wrote in to say, I never got this digest because I already had mostly the original printings of these stories. I loved your review, and Chris had already stepped up for Kurt Swan, so I won't have to. Except there's one more thing. Swan was drawing action in Superman every month Not to mention various other projects, fill ins, and hostess ads. JLGLPvhn could barely sustain one book a month. That's part of the reason all his work is so special to us. Yeah, and I agree with that. You know, that that's a whole other argument about whether is someone better because they cranked out a lot more pages. I don't know. I don't know what the you know. Yeah, I think it is. It's maybe a little unfair to compare them, but I wasn't really comparing them. I mean, I just, my feelings about Kurt Swan are generally known, although I was complimentary to him about the um, gridiron story. Uh, but JLG, there's just something about the way that guy does it, man. I just never tired of looking at his work. So right. but, but I well, agree, Kurt Swan was a workhorse.
0: Yeah, and, and we're obviously taking a bit of a beating here, and not in a bad way. I mean, probably deserved. No more than uh, 10. <laughs> so, uh, either way, it, everyone here has made very valid points about Kurt Swan. Absolutely. Uh, However, I will never forgive uh, them for the uh, New Teen Titans issue. uh, Like within the first like six or ten issues. Oof. He goes on to say uh, one more thing regarding the character of Starshine. I was in high school in 1980, and while there were metalheads and disco divas, there were also some retro hippies, lamenting that they were born only 10 years too late. Even a few years later in college, there were plenty to be found. For further evidence, you could search the list of dates that the Grateful Dead played in 1980. I bet it was more than 12 and not in little clubs. That's a good point. Fair point. So I guess there could have been a Starshine hippie out there. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sure there was. Yeah. I mean, the 1980 was still the 70s, basically. So, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's probably not. I guess, there was something about, I don't know, maybe Starshine. I just, I don't know. Whatever. Let's I, let's not drag us through that story again. Anyway, uh, Diablo Frank from the World Spine Podcast Network, the idol head of Diablo... Martian Manhunter blog and podcast, Marvel Superheroes podcast, DC Bloodlines podcast, Dying Prince Prison to Wonder Woman podcast, and many more, plus a zillion blogs. He says, the only way I would listen to a Transformers podcast is if a Rob hosts it. So here's the boombox dude and the gun one, fight the Tonka truck over something, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the I guess is what sells it.
1: <laughs> I think that doesn't sound like me.
0: It sounds exactly like you. <laughs> Her from our buddy Al Sedano, he goes, I know one of the Transformer Digest reprints the issue that guest stars Spider-Man. Would that make it easier for Rob to cover? <laughs>
1: <laughs> make it a little easier? I mean, I don't know. I mean, like it's, yeah, I guess so. I'd have something to hook on to, to like an actual human.
0: <laughs> it's his Spider-Man in his black costume, in fact.
1: Oh, that's a minus, though.
0: Well, but it's it's when it was Venom, though, still.
1: Oh, I see, Okay. So, like, you know,
0: I, I remember I I actually remember the issue. How crazy is that?
1: We will do a Transformers digest at some point. We I will suck it up and, and we'll do one.
0: I ha- I have a plan. I've been I've been working Rob over on the Transformer stuff for a while now. I don't know that I'm going to get anywhere on it, but I, I have a plan. So, all right. her from Eric, uh, Rosen from Ottawa, Canada. Uh, So here's something interesting He says between the year 2000 and 2004 He ran a small business out of his house It was called comicdigest.com The website's now defunct So for those of you typing in the browser You can stop now Uh, The website's defunct But uh, he was the first comic dealer To deal exclusively in back-issue comic digests He says he may have been uh, the only one ever And about 15,000 digests Went through his hands in those years Wow I wonder like you know it would be interesting to hear more detail. Like, you know, what majority of those were they, as we said, Archie, because, I mean, that seems to be the, the biggest pro- pro- proliferation, tough word to say apparently, uh, of Digest and Richie Rich stuff. Or was it more superhero? I'm, I'm curious.
1: Oh, I, Archie blows the competition away. I, I'd say Archie's probably done more Digest than all every other publisher combined at
0: this point. Oh, easily. That's why I'm just saying I wonder what ones he dealt with, though. Oh, I'm I saying.
1: see. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so then he also follows up. He says, I've been building my digest collection since I bought my first Archie Digest in 1985. At one point, my goal was to collect all digests lists in the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide, and I was very close about 12 years ago. In recent years, I've scaled down my collection to Archie digests from 73 and 83, including Canadian price variants, wow. all all Gold Key Digests, and all Dennis the Menace Digests from 1969 and 1980. I've been working on building the highest grade sets possible. I have well over 300 of these digests in the 9.2 to 9.8 grade range. You don't want to know how much I've spent.
0: Wow! I don't even know
1: where you store them. He's I mean, got to have like a warehouse, like at the final scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark or something.
0: Well, I think yeah. I mean, yeah, because I mean, once they're slabbed, I mean, they're kind of a large. I guess oh, do they make slabs man. for they make slabs for digest size stuff, I or you got to like fit them in the bigger yeah, case? I don't know. No idea. Wow. Man, 9.2s and 9.9s of stuff that old. That's amazing. Yeah, that so, is. wow. Good on you, man. Well, thanks again to to everyone. There's so many wonderful folks out there who also shared and retweeted uh, that show on social media, on Facebook and Twitter and just got the word out there. They spread it far and wide. And we're talking dozens and dozens and dozens of shares and retweets and stuff. So thank you guys so very much. You all are absolutely the best. And uh, now, next episode, I I think we're going to get into this habit where we're going to tease you guys and and tell you what we're going to cover next time so you can go out there on eBay and fight all each other and everyone can beat up. uh, Please, if you're bidding against Martin Gray, just Beat the pants off him, please. Anyway, um.
1: I'm surprised Martin knows how to use eBay, considering he remembers World War II. He's pretty, pretty good with the technology. Oh my gosh, he's gonna hate us. Anyway, I know uh, we, we both said how much he just sent us free stuff, and now we're picking on it. it makes we have no, like, we have no marketing sense whatsoever.
0: Right, <laughs> we are the worst friends ever. Um, we
1: should pick on Ryan. He does nothing for us.
0: It's true. It's true. Yeah. Although we're going to see him in like less than two weeks. But uh,
1: all right. Shoot. I so, didn't
0: know that. Okay. We got to share a room with them too, by the way. So that could be awkward. Um, all right. Next episode, folks. It's my pick. So I am picking Supergirl Best of DC number 17 because I like a woman in a skirt, folks. Uh, anyway, I, and we're bringing along a guest. So who's it going to be? Seriously, people, you have to wonder if you can't figure out who our guest star is going to be for a Supergirl themed issue, then you haven't been paying attention for the last six years. OK, I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. That's right. It's Helen Slater. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, uh, oh, man, it'd be better if we could get, you know, the actress from the Supergirl TV show. Ooh, Melissa Benoist. Ooh, uh, she's fantastic, too, in that role. Oh, my gosh. That show. is Do you watch it? I do not. Oh my gosh, Rob! It's on Netflix now. Uh, like I, I, yes. I think they just added the next season. It is so good. It is it, every episode is so uplifting, and their version of Superman is just—I mean, a lot of diehard Superman fans are saying that's the best representation of Superman on screen since Christopher Reeve.
1: I, I have been wanting to catch up with the Superman ones. I will admit
0: they're good. They're great. Okay. So right. anyway, great show. Looking forward to covering the Supergirl Digest with our mystery guest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you in a couple weeks, Ange. Anyway, uh, folks, as always, remember. Big things come in small packages.